1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report. Today is Tuesday, October 17th, 2017. Joe Hagman here, your co-host, along with Doug Hagman, who is off this evening. Well, when I say off, I just mean he is not doing this show, but uh he might be checking in. I'm not sure. We have a great lineup for you today, a full schedule and a diversity of topics that we're going to get into. First guest we have coming up with us is Guy Smith. His website is gunfacts.info. He's a big gun guy, and folks, check out his site. It's awesome. He's got so much stuff up there. He's an author. Uh, he also has a free PDF on the website, gunfacts, version 7.0, returning honesty to the gun control debate um, is what that is about. And we're going to get into a number of uh we're gonna discussions about the Second Amendment, gun control, the politics surrounding gun control, and maybe we're going to get his opinion on what happened in Las Vegas. Then, in Hour 2, we have, from nomorefakenews.com, John Rappaport. And he's going to be joining us, as he has several times in the past, to talk about a number of issues from the investigation into Las Vegas to the medical tyranny, which he talked about last time he was on. And then in Hour 3, <clears throat> we had a, a last-minute change. Stan Deo joins us each Tuesday in the third hour. But Stan is doing some some uh hard work, and he is unable to join us tonight. So instead, in Hour 3, we're going to be joined by Pastor Mike Spalding, host of Soaring Eagle Radio, and we're going to talk about a number of things. He's fresh off of a conference, and he wants to talk uh, about hope and where the church is going from here. Well, with us is our first guest, <clears throat> Excuse me, Mr. Guy Smith. He's a writer, a songwriter, a political provocateur, and he has been referred to as a libertarian with a foreign policy. And he has uh, written a book. As well as the Gun Facts PDF on the website, the book he wrote is Shooting the Bull, and we're going to talk about this book as well as many other things pertaining to gun control, the Second Amendment, and the politics about it. Mr. Smith, welcome to the Hagman Report.
2: Pleasure to be here, and thank you for inviting me.
1: Well, it, it is—it's great to have you, and I got to give a, a thank you to our uh, tech, Eric, the tech my uh first time I'm going to say this on air my new brother-in-law uh for finding guy smith um eric i don't know what it is you were looking through and and you uh he caught your attention but uh Oh, through an article on dredge okay well yeah this was a uh, uh eric uh found mr smith and um again the website gunfacts.info everybody go there and bookmark this site it's an awesome site i've been playing around with it for the last hour and at the bottom of the page, there you can look at the book "Shooting the Bull," and um, it, it looks like it's a great book. Obviously, I haven't read it, but it is something that I am interested in. And we have we're still on the heels of Las Vegas, Mr. Smith. I saw on your blog you uh, did a, a piece on that's on your blog on your website, Las Vegas Perspectives, and you go through a number of things that bothered you with Las Vegas. Where do you want to start today, Mr. Smith?
2: Well, you know, Las Vegas is the story of the day, and there's uh, a lot of interesting side notes to that. Uh, The one that I'm still waiting for, the official police report, any indication of the shooter's motives uh, that will inform us uh, not only about why he may have wanted to do this, but also his mental health condition, since we see a high correlation between people with mental health problems and any type of uh, mass murder. Uh, So those things still waiting on. But to my mind, the interesting thing about this event, uh, and it was quite unlike uh, many mass murders, is the amount of dedicated planning that went into it. He was very much looking for what I'm calling a cattle pen opportunity. He was looking for a situation where the victims were packed in so tightly that he was going to be guaranteed a high body count regardless of what kind of weapon he used um, because the victims were basically immobile, there was no way to escape. I looked at the statistics for the venue and the uh, ticket reports and basically The venue was designed to hold 22,000 people, and they had just around 22,000 people. And I'm sure all of your listeners have been to a nice, big, healthy, well-packed concert, and know that you're rubbing elbows to elbows with perfect strangers and that hey, a really good concert, especially if you're in that front row, you can't move an inch. Uh, and that's exactly what the shooter was looking for. He had scoped out two previous venues, and he wanted that packed, confined space so that no matter where he flung a bullet, it was going to hit
1: somebody. Yeah, and you, you uh, also, in your article on Las Vegas, you say that you believe that the most kills happened in the first uh few minutes of the shooting because that they were uh, all packed together the the way they were and uh kind of had to be bottlenecked out of there to leave the venue um and and that's because there the guy I guess it's what it's called spray and pray that the shooter uh, that's the technique he would use he obviously wasn't <clears throat> aiming specifically at one person at a time taking shots he was just indiscriminately firing into a crowd, and when you have the amount of people, as you just described, elbow to elbow with each other, those first, you know, uh, uh, rounds of fire where everybody is next to each other are going to be the—that's mo- where you're going to see the most casualties. That's what you're saying, correct?
2: That's my suspicion, and I've seen a couple of, you know, comments by police officers who have been investigating the scene, and a couple of them have said that most of the deaths that. But- They're able to triangulate. You know, happened early in the in the massacre, and and you know it all makes you know rational sense when you think through how the crowd reacts the moment that people start dropping, Uh, because people are going to good duck. They're going to try to find whatever cover they can, even if it's behind another concert goer. And so, the first people to get hit are are much more likely to sustain. Uh, Life-ending uh, physical trauma from the bullets. So, yeah, I, I believe most of the dead are probably going to be registered as uh, early kills.
1: And, okay, and Guy, I want to ask you this because this is one thing that's been bothering me about uh, this event. When uh, obviously you're very, very familiar with with firearms, you're a firearms expert. Where the shooter was positioned, and the amount of cell phone and other video we have seen of the events that unfolded in Las Vegas that night, are you surprised that we do not see the uh, muzzle flashes from the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay?
2: Um, Not exceptionally, no. I have not looked in detail at the firearms that he was using, but a lot of... Common, uh, sporting arms, um, of the variety that he was looking or using that day, uh, come with, um, certain muzzle brakes on them, certain, uh, flash suppressing, suppressing, uh, technology. And quite frankly, when you're looking straight towards where the bullets are coming from, you don't see as much muzzle flash as you would if you were looking at it, you know, from the side. So, um, add to that the mirrored reflective glass that was on the building and all the bright lights that are up and down the Las Vegas Strip, Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all that no one is going to latch on to a specific point from that specific window and be able to tell that those were uh, muzzle-burst up 32 floors.
1: Okay. Um, Yeah, because that's one of the things that bothered me at least, and I've seen a lot of videos i've been watching them at you know the 0.25 speed <clears throat> and i have found one where it does appear to show muzzle flashes from up at the top of the mandalay bay uh it's very faint though but i was just uh, I, i'm i don't know a whole lot about guns especially what it looks like um uh, it at nighttime having that kind of fire um uh, that that kind of firepower but i guess i just expected that you would see you would expect to see you know big bright flashes uh, almost with every shot but i guess that that's not the case um the let, let's move on to the uh the bump stocks because this is something else you point out in your article is that the potentially the weapons that were fitted with the bump stocks those bump stocks actually uh helped him kill more people than he would be able to without those is that correct well uh we can't be sure about
2: that i've seen people who with a fairly small amount of training can take a stock AR-15 or civilian version of an AK-47 and squeeze off rounds at an amazing rate. Uh, so in terms of the total body count, especially considering the cattle pinning situation that we're in, I'm not sure it really made all that much difference. It certainly was part of his planning, though. You can tell that that was integral to him wanting to, uh, put as many bullets into the field as possible. But whether it made a substantial difference in the total body count or not, you know, would be hard to say.
1: Okay. And then the last question I want to ask you, um, I 'm not sure how much you know about the reports of the fuel tanks being targeted and a few bullet holes being found in these aviation fuel tanks at the airport and uh, that led investigators, including the sheriff to to say that they believed he was trying to uh, spark an explosion by shooting these fuel tanks and i didn 't know with the with the weaponry he had in the distance where he was if he would be able to do that. Um, if that's even possible. And I'm not sure how closely well, you, you you followed that. but
2: Yeah, as a matter of fact, I was very intrigued by that because one of the first things that we saw, even before we heard about the fuel tank reports, was that he had busted out two windows. And looking at the angles of the windows on the building, it didn't make a whole lot of sense why he busted out the second one. So when we heard that bullets were lobbed into the fuel tanks, and then later we also heard some field reports that he had been shopping around for tracer rounds um, as part of the process. Then it became apparent to me that he had the idea in his head that a tracer round shot in two the fuel tank could cause an explosion. Uh, I read a report from somebody in the aviation business that basically said, no, the type of fuel in that tank was not going to go up. Uh, Even if you did hit it with an incendiary round, that's above my pay grade. I don't know whether that's true or not, but the fact was it seemed like that was part of his planning. He wanted to buy the tracer rounds, he busted out the second window and he fired directly into those fuel tanks, which is interesting because one of the things I like to point out to people is that humans have been committing mass murder since the caveman days. It doesn't take a particular amount of talent to kill a lot of people. In fact, one of my favorite examples was this fellow in China just a couple of years ago uh, got good and mad at his wife and mother-in-law grabbed a kitchen knife, and in five minutes, not only murdered them, but murdered, I think, seven other random people as he walked down the street. And he did this all in just a matter of four or five minutes. So this fellow, Paddock, not only thought through the cattle pinning situation and how many people he could possibly kill there, but he wanted to see if he could also set off a Oklahoma City-grade bombing uh of the airport and that little corner of Las Vegas at the same time. Uh this was a man who was really going out for a steep steep body count and uh all I can say is that, you know, I'm kind of grateful he didn't do enough research on the fuel tanks and, you know, that yeah. would have caused him to think of some other method of uh of creating a huge explosion.
1: Yeah, I I heard estimates that said that uh, if he was able to uh, carry out the rest of his plan and detonate those fuel tanks, that we would be seeing death tolls into the thousands and um you know thank the Lord that that did not happen and uh, for whatever reason the shooter Paddock stopped shooting and uh, apparently killed himself a lot of these uh, events a lot of what happened is still unclear as it's not been verified by the police department uh, I guess last question on, on Vegas guy is is are you satisfied with the level of information in the uh that has come out from the police department uh, i mean i'll just tell you how i feel we haven't seen any cctv footage of the hallway or paddock in the you know coming and going from the casino we haven't um there's just so much we haven't seen we don't know that this, where the security guard is we haven't been given a list of who was killed by what bullets um you know what were the different uh bullets that were used or by the survivors that they were taken out of there's no accurate count on how many shots were fired some of the just the basic things you think they would be able to to uh, you know put out there as factual uh, pretty much immediately or within the days of a few days after the shooting are not there does that bother you at all or do you think that's for still forthcoming
2: i think it's still forthcoming um i've i've uh collaborated with a number of law enforcement married into a cop family and i i've even met a couple of people in las vegas pd uh an investigation of this scale uh, never goes quickly um and a smart police department is going to try to get all their facts absolutely right before they you know make any strong public statement and um it would not surprise me if they spent a good couple of months uh, analyzing everything before, you know, releasing some of the data that, that you outlined. And it's frustrating as heck, especially for somebody like me who studies this thing, these situations down to two decimal places. You know, I want that data and I want it yesterday, but, uh, it's not unreasonable for a police department, uh, dealing with something this catastrophic to take their time.
1: Yeah. You know, I, um, I obviously want to give the investigators the time to be able to compile the information with, and, and do it in a proper manner uh, using standard operating procedures of investigative uh, techniques so when they release it, is it is accurate. I just have a problem with how the investigation was co-opted by the FBI, and it wasn't just the local FBI, the Vegas FBI. The chief commander there was relieved of his duties, and you had Andrew McCabe come in to run the investigation And this whole thing just stinks to me, but we are still in the middle of this investigation, but I'm not too hopeful that more info will come out. Uh, Well, Guy, if you want to switch gears here, uh, where do you want to go next? Do you want to talk about the uh, attempted gun control that came out of Las Vegas from the the news media and the politicians who every time they have the opportunity to cry for for gun control and, and the Second Amendment to be attacked? I saw a quote of yours. And it said, No civil right has come under such under unrelenting attacks as the Second Amendment. Everyone who takes liberty seriously must actively defend the Second Amendment. And that's so true. But after Las Vegas, one thing I thought that was interesting is many of the people who were survivors, um, you didn't hear one person who was the victim of Las Vegas say, you know, guns need to be banned. And I thought that was pretty interesting. So the the media kind of moved from complete gun control to, you know, the control of bump stocks and these other accessories, uh, what do you think happened? Do you think that they did the media just let it go the gun control issue, or they didn't think that this was an actually a, a good spot to to throw this issue out at the public
2: you know that's a darn good question the um, The gun control industry got knocked back on their heels several times uh, by playing stupid games, and one of the stupid games that they Played and you saw a few of them try to play it this time. Um, but the stupid game that they play is that they jump out the second that a body hits the ground and they start proposing whatever the gun control legislation de jure is. Um, and the media, or at least you know, the politically active media, uh, on the pro control side, um, got caught several times uh doing the same thing and what happens invariably is that once the facts of the case start to come out then you discover that everything that was proposed is just silliness. Um, in fact I think it was about four or five days after the event I, I felt this desire to pick up the phone and dial in and find out what the weather report in hell was because Diane Feinstein of all people in front of the media said, well, there is no legislation that would have stopped this. And I tell you what, I just about had a cardiac arrest when I heard her say that because she's the the unholy goddess of the entire gun control industry. Um, so I think what's happened is that people on the pro-control side uh, have gotten smarter. Uh, they They're getting more savvy about how to play the game. And what happened in this particular case, once the issue of bump stocks came out, was that they had a new issue that they felt that they could wrap everybody around on. I mean, even the National Rifle Association has come out and said, well, maybe we got to rethink, you know, whether bump stocks should be part of the NFA or not. Um, and so that shows some savvy on their part. They waited. They found the hook. They're running with the hook
0: that has, general public support to
1: it yeah you, you know um i would agree with you that the gun control lobby is getting smarter it's obvious that their attempts to uh, you know gain political points on the backs of tragedies the way that they were going about it was not working and i know for a fact that no matter how they try to repackage it there is a a great percentage of the american people that will never go for it those american people are the ones who are gun owners who have been hunters and uh you know more self-reliant and uh so than other people and it seems though that we have two types of people in america today where we have the people who do believe in the in the second amendment who do believe in the right to bear arms and there, that there should not be any you know it doesn't restrict that to a muzzle loader that we should be able to have you know any kind of of weaponry that are out there, then you have the other type of American citizen who believes that we should not have the right to bear arms, and they think that the part of the Second Amendment that uh, talks about you know having guns to protect ourselves against uh governments about, against tyrannical governments is is lunacy. they think it you know it's basically a conspiracy theory, and it seems that the percentage of people who are uh, on the side of the Second Amendment, pro Second Amendment seems to be growing, but it also seems to be growing, or at least the appearance of the anti Second Amendment people seem to be growing. What do you think? How do you think that that gun divide in our country works?
2: Well, first, long term trends have been more towards the pro gun side, looking at public polling from Gallup and Pew and a few other places. Um, we saw a steep decline uh, through the 1990s of people who favored various forms of gun control, especially handgun bans. And what I think precipitated this more than anything else was the grand experiment that we have had in this country. Uh, from n- back in 1998, there were 10, count them, 10 states that allowed for concealed carry of handguns in public. And in 1998, the legislation was passed in Florida, the first large state with a, you know, diverse population and major metro centers. Uh, They became a shall-issue concealed carry state. And when nobody died in the process, then other states started falling. So anyway, we've gone from 10 states to 42 states that allow for some form of concealed carry. Uh, either on a shall issue basis or in a few states where they don't require you to be licensed whatsoever. And nothing happened. And I think a lot of people watched this experiment. You know, they, they were probably terrified when their state flipped. And after a year or two of, uh, their state being shall issue and probably having a couple of friends who ran out and got their concealed carry permit and nobody dying in the process, a lot of people, kind of said okay well you know this this isn't so bad and maybe I'll talk to Bob and find out about getting a revolver for the nightstand so I think it was an evolutionary thing that's been going on interestingly when Michael Bloomberg ran out of you know people to abuse in New York he decided to go out to the rest of the country and he is spending tons of money to try to shape public opinion going back the other way uh, thankfully he's been relatively unsuccessful at it Um and I think that's why we see the divide. America generally is becoming more pro-gun, definitely more pro-Second Amendment. Um, but the money behind the other side is increasing, they're improving their game, uh, they're getting their messaging tighter, they're finding better ways of doing propaganda. Uh and And that figures in prominently to why they look bigger than they are. And one quick point, you know, you were talking about the Second Amendment and the way people perceive it. Here's a very interesting little tidbit. The Heller decision of 2008, that's when the Supreme Court again, and they've done it multiple times, certified that the right to bear arms was an individual right. And it was a 5-4 decision. But what's interesting is that when you read the dissenting opinions, none of the dissenting opinions argued against the individual right. What they were attempting to do in the dissenting opinions was to make it a lesser right, but they never argued that it wasn't an individual right. So, technically speaking, it was a 9-0 to decision in favor of the individual right to own guns. And that's one thing which I, I want everyone to keep in mind, whether you're pro-gun or anti-gun, but especially if you're pro-gun talking to somebody who's anti-gun. Whip that on them. You know, a unanimous Supreme Court decision, basically, that you have a right to own a gun.
1: Very interesting. Folks, our guest is Guy Smith. His website is gunfacts.info. That's gunfacts.info. Um, he is an author. He also has a free ebook on his website on the right-hand side called Gun Facts, Returning Honesty to the Gun Control Debate. And uh, this free ebook is over 100 pages of indexed information divided into chapters based on gun control topics. And I'm going to download it myself right now and, and use this as a resource and, and check it out. I advise everybody to do that as well as getting uh, Mr. Smith's book, Shooting the Bull. And we're going to talk about the book in just a little bit. I want to ask you about your last blog post, uh, Guy Smith, Unscientific American. More guns do not stop. More crimes. Evidence shows. Let's talk about this study a little bit because we hear very often and we've seen this new phenomenon in this country over the last 10, 20 years of what we call gun-free zones. And many people who travel a lot have seen you know, uh, hotels that they attempt to enter Or different businesses that have, you know, uh, no weapon policies where they say you're not allowed to, even if you legally own and legally conceal carry a weapon, you are not allowed per their policy to have it in their establishment. And we see that a lot of violence happens in these gun-free zones, and Chicago is a great example of, you know, a very liberal uh, city with very strict gun control laws, yet they have some of the most worst gun violence in the whole nation. But here you're looking at a study that uh, says more guns do not stop more crimes when we know the opposite to be true, that the more people that have guns, uh, that the more crime decreases. But what does this study, uh, uh, how does, explain to our listeners how this study, um, tries to make the case that more guns does not equate to less crime.
2: Well, uh, this, this is, been one of my favorites. And, and to dial this back a little bit, first, thank you for mentioning Shooting the Bull for for your listeners. Uh, shooting the Bull is is a guide to propaganda analysis. I use the gun control industry as my case study throughout the entire book, side effect of studying the whole process for 16 years. Um, and the ways that you can lie to people uh, through propaganda are amazing. There are many. They're very multifaceted. And what happened in Scientific American uh, recently was that somebody published an article which was a wonderful example of how to cherry-pick data in order to make a statement that is completely inaccurate. So, one of the main points that the author made in her article was that guns are not often used to prevent crimes. which in the criminology field because they've been studying this for a long time and they have a different opinion on it. So what happened, to give you an example of how people can mislead, um, most people who cite the frequency with which defensive gun use, DGUs occur, cite a study that was done by a criminologist by the name of Gary Kleck. Uh, Gary Kleck also wrote a book called Targeting Guns, which is, I think, mandatory reading for anyone who's fascinated by the subject. Um, so what she, what the author did was she took a study, which basically said guns are used two and a half million times a year to prevent crimes. And then she pulled one other study out and said, but this study says it only happened 65,000 times. You know, that's a huge disparity. What she failed to do, and I have to assume that this was intentional, was that she didn't mention in Gary Cleck's own book that he presented a table with, I think it was 10 different studies performed by criminologists, performed by public polling outfits like Gallup and Pew, and also by media outlets like the LA Times. And all of those studies centered around that 2.5 million mark. There were a couple outliers on the high and the low end, but you know when you ignore those and you took the average, it was two million times a year. So we have to ask ourselves, why did she go and pick this one study that said only 65,000 times a year, and what's wrong with that study? Well, if she had read Gary Kleck's book, he very openly talks about the survey that drove that low-ball study. So the author, in essence, just said, okay, I cannot accept that guns are used two and a half million times a year to prevent crime. So I'm going to find the lowest number I can possibly find and only present those two as my proof points about the gun control debate. And, you know, if she did it intentionally, then she should be banned from writing articles for the rest of time.
1: Yeah, I mean it just shows the the you know the biased ways that they conduct these uh these polls, these uh scientific experiments. It reminds me of uh you know during the last election cycle when all the poll- polls showed Hillary Clinton, you know, had 100% uh favorability rating and and uh nobody liked Donald Trump and you know you find out that they skew the polls by taking uh oversampling democrats 80% to you know 20% independents. And then they get those skewed results, and I mean that 's kind of a, a a bad analogy, but it is shocking to see especially not only gun control, we have the same problem with global warming and the uh, NOAA being caught manipulating temperature data in order to skew the numbers to make it look like the warming trends were happening much faster. These people are exactly what you described as the you know manipulators and purveyors of propaganda. Uh, And the issue we're talking about is pertaining to gun control. And it is uh, just amazing to me that in America, uh, how old is this country, 241 years, something along those lines, we have had this Constitution where the rights are granted not by government but to the people to protect us from the government. And we are, you know, these people are halfway there in being able to manipulate the minds of the Americans into thinking that, this, the, the Second Amendment needs to be regulated and taken away, or special provisions have, need to be put on it. And just look at some of the countries in, in Europe and in Australia where they had gun rights and since have uh, had those taken away, and yet there is still gun violence there perpetrated by criminals, but there are no one left to defend. Uh, even the police officers in some of these European countries don't carry guns. And it, it's just absolutely crazy. But the, um, the gun facts, the e-book that you talk about uh, If we can go over this uh, a little bit When we see uh, All these different ways that uh, We are being Manipulated into believing That gun control is the answer Where are some of the areas That you think um, people who advocate For the second amendment Can can poke the most holes in these arguments And what are some of the ways that these people uh, Maybe behind the scenes are coming After our gun rights that we don't even know about
2: well, the first and the most obvious is what is the definition of something um in the same article in in unscientific American uh right in paragraph number three, after a couple of fluff paragraphs, the author talked about the thirty thousand gun deaths every year in america and and your savvy listeners probably already recognize that sixty six percent of those gun deaths were suicides, and that number also includes legal interventions, gun accidents, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the fact that right off the bat, you know, people are changing the mental definition of what a gun death is. The average citizen thinks gun death equals murder; they don't think gun death equals suicide. Um, and this artificial inflation of the numbers is is. Almost the central theme behind the propagandist on the pro control side. Uh, they want people to believe that the situation is dire, desperate, that the numbers are huge, and that everyone's in danger because of it. And the problem with, you know, the way people present numbers. The way they misrepresent studies, et cetera, et cetera, is that the average American doesn't have time and likely doesn't have the expertise to drill down through these studies and dissect them and figure out what's wrong. And that's pretty much all Gun Facts does. Is that we we rip into the data and we give people, you know, honest perspective, whether it's pro gun or anti gun. Uh, uh, the motto of the Gun Facts uh, project is that we're not pro gun or anti gun. We're pro math and anti BS. Um, so that's foremost what it is. If somebody is throwing out big, scary-sounding numbers and making it sound like a dire crisis, then you're pretty much guaranteed that it's not. Uh, the second thing that people need to know, and this, I think, is becoming much more important in the debate, is that um, internationally speaking, America does not have a high homicide rate. Uh, if you look at all countries, we're down in the noise level. Uh And the worst of the worst countries, the Somalias, the Rwandas, places like that, they don't even report their crime statistics. So, you know, there's uh, some great outliers there. If we look at just industrialized countries, we do have a high homicide rate, but we don't have the highest many years. Uh And here's the big gotcha, we have an outsized gang problem in the United States. To give you an idea, uh, the gang participation rate, the number of people with inside of a city who are members of a street gang, is about, if I remember correctly, 700 times larger in Chicago than it is in London, and they have roughly equivalent populations. That gives you an idea of the relative difference that America has in terms of the central place where gun violence is committed. Uh, For example, Las Vegas, the mass killer, killed about 57 or 59 people, I think, is the final count. Uh, That's a month in the south side of Chicago, and and that happens every month of every year. And it's all centered around street gangs where there are many people playing and uh, though I can't find any international studies to help back this up, I have a hunch that American street gangs have a much more lethal creed than their European uh, cohorts. So you take a lot more people running in gangs with a much more violent ideology and you put them in these major cities where the politicians really just don't give a darn about poor people in general except at election time, and you're going to have a high gun homicide rate simply due to the gangs. And here's my data point, data is a couple years old but still relevant. The top 20 cities for homicides in America, 20 cities, have only 7% of the population but they account for 21% of all the homicides. Wow. So imagine that one-fifth of the homicides created in places where you have only 7% of the population.
1: Yeah, and this is why we see um, some of these law enforcement tactics that are, are, you know, uh, high police areas where, you know, the most concentration of gun, gun crimes receives the most uh, officers on patrol um and they have you know one of the questions i wanted to ask you not to to skip around too much guy is the equipment and technology called spot shotter spot shot spot shotter i'm not sure how familiar with with this you are but in over 70 or 80 cities uh, in the last 10 years they have been installing equipment around uh you know these major cities to be able to triangulate and pinpoint where a gunshot has come from, and they've they've used this technology all over the place. They use it in Chicago, and this way, when a, when a gunshot goes off, they can basically boil the location down to uh, half of a city block, as to where that shot came from. Have you are you familiar with that technology?
2: I am, and as a matter of fact, right down the road in uh, Santa Cruz, California, I believe is where some of that technology was developed. Um, but to my mind, it's it's just the wrong approach. Uh, once the gun is fired, the crime is committed. Right. And what we, as a society, are interested in doing is getting people to quit killing each other. What I have been studying, and I, don't, I haven't been studying it long enough to have any, you know, solid footing on this, but what I'm seeing is that when localities a position of intervention, and it doesn't almost matter what kind of intervention, it can be just about anything that gets between a angry, disenfranchised, testosterone-soaked young man running with street gangs, and get him out of the mode that that's a good option for him, it tends to reduce... The violent crime i was living in richmond virginia when they launched project exile it worked like a champ and the people who say it doesn't work never looked at the data and never really understood the way the program worked but the whole point of project exile was to make the cost-benefit ratio of shooting somebody as part of street violence to go completely the opposite way if you're busted uh You're going to jail, you're going to jail in a federal prison, it will be on the other side of the country where none of your family and homeboys are. And they publicized it so well that everybody on the streets got the message real fast. That worked. In some localities, they're doing street level, you know, evangelism basically. They're going down to the gang bangers and they're trying to coach them on what they can do differently, how they can get out of this lifestyle. That's effective, so you know tracing where a gun was fired is infinitely useless compared to going out and and getting these young men to just quit being violent
1: yeah that's the uh <laughs> that's what you know hopefully one day we'll figure out how to do that uh, as you said, you know many people when looking at the statistics of of gun uh violence and shootings just as your website point points out don't think about the the suicide aspect of that and that's really high i'm surprised 80% in canada and then you have the you know the gang on gang type violence and when you boil it down to how many crimes are committed by guns but you know by just the uh, you know, an average citizen on another citizen It's relatively low compared to the population that we have And even, you know, compared to the murder rates 25 years ago There has been a steep decline in gun violence in this country So we're on the right track We just got to figure out, you know, a better way But it's hard when you have, you know um, Scandals like the Fast and Furious ones Where the government's, you know, funneling guns to Mexican drug cartels And I've read stories in from Chicago where uh, you know, some gangbangers uh wake up in the morning to go in their turf and they find a crate of uh, you know, unused AR fifteen sitting in an alleyway. So we have to look at, you know, all the different angles. At the same time the much of the government will advocate for gun control. They're the ones supplying guns to the criminals uh that are being used that um you know, they turn around and then use those excuses as why they need gun control. It really is a uh a psychological warfare operation against the American people,
3: well, it is
2: intriguing because you know any good doctor will tell you you can treat the symptom or you can treat the disease, and if you go and you treat the disease, you will have a long term cure. The disease that we have in America tied to the gangs is cultural it is and i I invite anyone to fire up google and and look at the gang subcultures, They're, even the people in gangs have their own websites, and they promote their lifestyle, and it is hideous, it is violent, it is sociopathic, uh, and it all comes very much from the ground up, once the seed of society doesn't care about us, and we're going to rule the streets the way that we see fit becomes... The commonplace with inside of a community, it's really easy for a young man to slip into that mentality, to say, this is what all my peers do, I'm never going to escape this neighborhood, I might as well go out with this gang where at least I have this Sado family and I can make uh, money on the side and, and, you know, have something that resembles, you know, uh, activity and, you know, the self-acknowledgement that, you know, I have some sort of power in the world. And if we address that cultural issue, if we made it just completely repugnant to even think about being in a gang, if there was some way that we could do that, the gang problem would kind of go away, and all the firearm homicide would go away with it.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. I agree with you. Um, we have about 11 minutes left in the interview, and I want to talk. I want you to to uh, tell our audience about your book, Shooting the Bull. um can you give our audience a, an overview of what the book's about and um, you know how, what you document in the book?
2: The book is about being able to recognize propaganda in real time. Uh, propaganda analysis is a very arcane study, and I would not want to drag anyone through it. But to be able to recognize the ways people lie to you is very convenient. You can sit and... The one thing that will do if you're re-shooting the bull is you will never be able to watch a news broadcast again without cringing, because you will be spotting misinformation and distortions one after another all night long. So when you're re-shooting the bull, not only are you going to get an end-to-end lesson about the gun control industry and, you know, how they've attempted to mislead the American public, but you also are going to get point-by-point lessons on this is how they lied, This is what the lie is called. This is how you recognize it in the future. And I would encourage anyone to read the book, whether you're pro-gun or anti-gun, it doesn't matter. Read it so that you understand how you're being misinformed. Because the one thing which I know for certain is that the media is no longer in control of the public conversation. We have wrested that away from them thanks to the Internet and the ability for anyone to communicate with anyone else in this world. And you need to be able to debunk the media's propaganda. You need to be able to debunk the opposition's propaganda. And shooting the bull is going to be a real handy guide for you to be able to do that instantly.
1: Okay. And and that's, uh, folks, if you want <clears throat> the book, go to gunfacts.info, and on the uh, main page, on the home page, if you scroll down, you will see the cover shooting the bull, and it has uh, a number of our listeners' favorite characters on the cover, from Diane Feinstein to Barack Obama. I think that's Rosie O'Donnell holding an RPG. Uh, I'm not sure, they're on the right-hand side of the cover, but I I like that. Uh, I like that cover. It's a uh,
2: I think it is, and a friend of mine said it was the ugliest book cover he ever saw.
1: <laughs> um, I want to ask you something about the concealed carry in this country. Now, we know that each state has different laws and, and regulations and things you have to go through uh, for concealed carry. Do you believe with, in the Second Amendment that the Second Amendment, uh, they, that there should be. Uh, a need for licensing to conceal carry, or do you believe that the Second Amendment provides that provision uh, that Americans should be able to, if they're able to own the gun and they have the right to bear arms, that they should not have to go and uh, get a license to uh, carry concealed?
2: That's an interesting question. And um, before I answer that directly, the one big court case that's going to be coming up to the Supremes pretty soon is what does the right to bear arms mean? And it it would only require Supreme Court justice and their linguistic skills to divide the right that says keep and bear arms into two separate rights. But don't put it past them. They're, They're clever people up at the Supreme Court. But to my reading of the origin of the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms is not tied to militia duty. It is very much tied to self protection and in the public space because bearing arms in your private home is just, you know, a silly notion. Everyone can get their mind around that PDQ. So the question then devolves to can you license any right? And the general principle of law in the United States is that so long as the licensing problem does not present any undue burden or delay, then then government has the authority to put some sort of licensing on it. But I'm going to maintain that it's unnecessary. And the reason I'm going to maintain that is that we have a number of states in the nation that are so-called constitutional carry states or permitless carry states. You do not need to go get a license to carry a concealed weapon in public. And even though the trend is kind of new and we only have a handful of states, I've run the numbers and I'm not seeing any covariance to violence whatsoever. There is no indicator that constitutional carry makes the situation any worse. So I think we're going to end up discovering what we discovered with license concealed carry in that it doesn't present a problem. And we're going to end up seeing more and more states recognize that criminals don't go out and get licenses, and the good guys don't need one, so we might as well just be done with the licensing process.
1: Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. And uh, moving on to assault weapons. Uh, what many people call assault weapons or automatic weapons <clears throat> i don 't like the term assault weapons we not too long ago went over the history of where the term assault weapons comes from, but many people do equate automatic weapons and some semi automatic rifles as assault weapons. Do you believe the uh, the the automatic weapons ban uh, is unconstitutional
2: That is a very good question, and I have to imagine that it is. Um, And the reason is that everything I've read on the founding philosophy of the Second Amendment, and by the way, if there's any history geeks out there who really want to get into this, I highly recommend a book called The Origin of the Second Amendment by Young. Uh, It's not an analysis book. It is just simply a collection of everything that was ever written about the Second Amendment during the uh, colonial and the revolutionary period. Um, So when we look at the origin of the Second Amendment, um, we find no barriers whatsoever. Let me give you my favorite example. Um, The captains of the militia during the Revolution and all the way up to the War of 1812, etc., it was, because they tended to be the wealthier guys in the neighborhood, it was obligation for them to go out and buy cannons uh, to to serve in the militia. Well, at the end of whatever war they were fighting, those cannons went back to their homes. Uh, in fact, if you go down the James River in Virginia and some of the ancient plantations that are still there, you'll see those cannons still sitting on the front lawns or decorations now. But the cannons were the weapons of mass destruction of their era and no one found it peculiar that when the cannon wasn't needed in warfare that you kept it at somebody's house so i have to imagine that a fully automatic weapon being both you know a an individually held weapon uh, as well as something that would be suitable for militia service uh has to be included as uh one of the protected rights. I have yet to hear a really cogent argument against that position
1: okay um and you know a lot of people have uh, and I agree you know that with the with the canons um that you know if <laughs> if we still use canons today that every person should have the right to have a canon at their house. So, I guess the question would be in the, in the, if we're talking about, um, you know, where does it end? Should we be able to have flamethrowers and RPGs and, uh, all that stuff? But, you know, um, I guess that's not really that important in the, in the grand scheme of what we're talking about. But, I just kind of wanted to, to, for perspective, to kind of understand where you're coming from in you know, all these different, the way that they've broken down the Second Amendment and and classify everything and, and then uh, make certain things illegal. And they continue to, um, one thing's for sure, as you say, they continue to attack the Second Amendment. No other amendment in the Constitution is attacked more than the Second Amendment. Uh, even with all their pushing towards gun control, do you see a time where they will be successful and the American people will turn their guns in?
2: Um, I'm going to answer that question in reverse. There will never be a time when the American people turn their guns in. One of the more interesting uh, pieces of information I've stumbled across in recent years is the noncompliance rate internationally of people uh, in guns. In other words, who's keeping guns illegally in their house? And it's staggering all over the world where there is strict gun control. you you got to jump through... Multiple hurdles just to own a pea shooter. It doesn't matter. People have guns in their home. In fact, I had a guest blogger at the Gun Facts site. She she uh, uh comes from the Ukraine, and she said there's an old joke out here in the Ukraine where Vladimir uh, leaves his house and sees Igor, his neighbor. Pouring motor oil on the flower bed, and he said, "'What are you doing? The oil is going to kill your flowers and Igor says, "'Yes, but my machine gun won't rust <laughs> um Africans will never give up their guns. It's just not in our DNA so it doesn't it almost doesn't really matter what law has passed. but the trajectory of public opinion is such that I don't think anyone's going to put up with uh, any legislative body. Uh, banning guns. Now that's not going to keep the other side from trying but I I see their prospects dwindling and assuming that another couple of Supreme Court justices vacate the court or or pass away within the next three years and looking over the roster of judges that Trump has proposed and great lead off of course it's uh, I have a feeling that the Supreme Court-level blockade is going to become uh, ever more resilient and more pro-gun. And if he can find uh, more justices like Gorsuch and put them in the federal courts, uh, pray God, put some on the Ninth Circuit Court, uh, then gun legislation coming up from the states is just never going to see the light of
1: day. Yeah, and i hope you're right guy smith is our guest we only have about 40 seconds left his website gunfacts.info again his book shooting the bull and you can get that on his website as well as a free um book ebook gun facts returning honesty to the gun control debate uh guy thank you so much for joining us anything else that you want to promote or point uh attention to for people out there listening
2: I just want to say that the Gun Facts website has everything that's in the book. You can get the book on Amazon if you want, and the website's formatted so that if you need to bring it up on your cell phone during a city council meeting, everything formats nicely for you, and you can debunk mythology on the spot.
1: Awesome. Guy Smith, thank, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day and joining us tonight. It was a great converse, conversation, and we hopefully we will have you back on here in the near future. You have a great evening.
2: You, too, and thank you again.
1: All right. We will be right back after this network break. We will be joined by John Rappaport of nomorefakenews.com. Stay tuned. <laughs>
4: but a thing you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG Chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP-proof, and it's environmentally friendly, yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to GreenNovative.com. That's GreenNovative.com.
1: You should have a minute man, the survival stove in an can. Welcome back to gentlemen to hour number two of this two day edition of the Hagman Report. Joe Hagman here. We are joined by John Rappaport, no News dot com, and we're gonna to get to him in just a moment. Just want to bring you a quick word from one of our sponsors. That is Greenovative.com. Um, there are so many big disasters that have been happening around the United States and elsewhere that shows us how important portable power is. Greenovative is all about portable power and has all the equipment to, uh, that you need there at Greenovative.com. They have the uh, double power Super GMAG complete packages. This will allow you to recharge uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of batteries uh keeping the power on in the most of the inconvenient times that we face. If you have questions, if you have uh, concerns, go to greenovative.com and email Alan Riggs, the owner, and his phone number is also there so you can give him a call, but this Greenovative is great. It gives you portable power anywhere, anytime, and as we see in all these disasters going on, across not only the country but the world, um, even with, look at Puerto Rico, for example, the Hurricane Irma, was it Irma that hit there, uh, that, you know, devastated Puerto Rico, and we see that the power is still off in so many areas there, and I wish, I bet they wish they had the ability of portable power, so go to greeninnovative.com check out all of their products and contact Mr. Alan Riggs for any questions that you might have. That's greenovative.com. Our guest this hour is a returning guest to the Hagman Report, and he's got a fantastic website as well as a a fantastic analysis and insight on current events and and covering so many topics. John Rappaport is our guest, and we have so much going on from uh you know we're still talking about Las Vegas where is the security guard Jose Campos who has apparently disappeared you know this is should be one of the most sought after stories of the year in this country every journalist should be tripping over each other trying to find this guy and getting the exclusive interview yet we don't even have the basic questions being asked by the media now we have this big Hollywood scandal and yes it is great to see the repulsive and disgusting behavior that Hollywood has concealed and engaged in for so long finally making it to the light but again this has been going on for decades since it has been uh, dubbed Hollywood it's been going on so why now we have the wildfires in in California that are very unusual and so much more going on John Rappaport, welcome back to the Hagman Report
3: uh, it's great to be here, as always. Yes, there is whew, endless, endless going on. <laughs> Campos. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that major media, among the many, that they're not talking about relative to uh, Las Vegas, is the lawsuits. Because the Mandalay Hotel and the owners stand to go out of business, depending upon how these lawsuits would be filed, and Campos could hold the key or a key to the actual uh, sequence of events that resulted in the mass shooting. There are different accounts, of course, of his role and what happened to him. Was he fired on through the door of Paddock's hotel suite as he campos was out in the hallway before the shoot the mass shooting started or after or during. Uh, the latest police story is that it was before, which raises all manner of questions, including why did it take the police so long to find Paddock's room? So Campos's status, where he is, what's happened to him, the fact that he cancelled interviews multiple interviews, including with Sean Hannity, only minutes before he was scheduled to go on and then disappeared while he was with uh members of his own union, is a very strange thing indeed,
1: yeah, you know there's so many questions. I feel that there has been something very wrong with this investigation, starting with the FBI, uh national FBI, Washington FBI, taking over from the local Las Vegas, Nevada FBI, and then using the Sheriff's Department and the Las Vegas Police Department basically as a spokesman for the investigation. We have so many unanswered questions here. You know, we have the... Uh, And, John, let me ask you this. The CCTV footage from the uh, Mandalay Bay, we know that there are are cameras covering every inch of that casino, from the elevators to the hallways to the casino floors, uh, everything except the bathrooms. Do you think they're not releasing any of that footage because of the potential oncoming lawsuits that they face?
3: Absolutely. As well as they're not releasing it because it could very well uh Put the story in a whole new direction You know How many yeah. cameras uh Were focused on Paddock For example What was he doing We're told that he got Ten suitcases Or more up to his hotel suite Which obviously would have contained Weapons and ammunition and so forth Now I have a source Who told me and I can't confirm this with anyone else yet, but it should certainly be looked into, that there are no metal detectors in the Mandalay Hotel. Now, if that's true, that's complete lunacy, given the way these casinos and hotels operate, with millions and millions of dollars on the premises. Um, that in itself could be a basis for many lawsuits we have the statement of Steve Wynn, who's talked at length about the massive security measures at the Wynn Hotel. And aside from XCIA cia and ex-Special Forces people that he claims are guarding uh, every single entrance, he says that there are metal detectors, invisible metal detectors, and other such devices at every entrance to the hotel. But here... Somebody who uh, appears to be a source, who knows, is saying this to me about the Mandalay. No metal detectors.
1: We have a statement,
3: presumably from a private detective, claiming that the freight elevators inside the Mandalay Hotel are open for use by anybody and that there are no cameras in them. Lawsuits, lawsuits, lawsuits.
1: Yeah and you know um not only is the security guard compost missing I've also been reading about one of the valet uh members there who employees who um is on shown on a receipt by name to have moved the car uh the paddock's car the shooter's car and he is apparently missing or unable to be found as well but I just find it so it's crazy to me that the uh, this whole event that first they announced that the security guard interrupted the shooter as he was shooting onto the crowd and forcing him to end his attack abruptly and killing himself. Then, a week later, due to some uh, independent journalists and other Internet sleuths out there, digging up, finding information that the timeline that the police had of Paddock's stay at the hotel was wrong. Uh, He was checked in three days earlier than they said. Also, the the receipt of room service said it ordered for two people. And you have, um, that instead now that compost is said to have been shot at first before the, uh, concert goers were targeted and shot at, which, which really changes the whole, uh, dynamic of this story. And then whether he's be, and whether there's a gag order on him and his family, that's uh, a question that's being asked as the family was approached by a journalist who asked if they they would talk, and and they said, no, we're not allowed to talk. There's armed security guards outside of this guy's, the security guard's house, and we still see these changes. It got to the point where MGM came out and said that the police and their timeline are inaccurate. And Mm -hmm. for this guy not to be available, for him not to be all over the place giving interviews of what happened, and for specifically the media not asking these questions, these fundamental questions, it just this whole event stinks to high heaven. I know a lot of people are are, are sick of us talking about it, but it's it feels like we're never going to get to the bottom of this. And there is obviously a, a big level of of government cover up and corruption involved in, in this.
3: We also, of course, and I would say, <clears throat> this is uh, much you know getting to the root of it. Reports by witnesses that there were multiple shooters shooters on the ground shooters in other places in the hotel shootings in other same time that night including the Bellagio where you see video of a woman and her husband walking around the lobby of the Bellagio and many people are standing there they're not walking through on their way to the casino or the elevators and she is saying we just had an event here where shots were fired through the glass of the front door and we are on lockdown multiple shooters because if and of course we're assuming that Paddock was a shooter or the shooter this could be completely wrong we don't know this because the entire scenario is up for grabs but if we Uh, allow these witnesses' statements to stand, that there were multiple shooters, we are now, of course, talking about cooperation, collusion, conspiracy, real conspiracy, with an agenda, a purpose, most likely a political purpose, in this horrendous event. So... We have testimony from multiple people who were working at the concert itself, who say that their cell phones and laptops were com- confiscated by the FBI, and when they were returned, all the video footage they had of the shooting was wiped clean. It's gone.
1: Yeah, I, I saw reports of this. Now, folks, what they, what John's talking about here is, uh as the chaos unfolded. On Sunday night at the venue in Las Vegas, many people dropped their electronics devices, their cell phones. Many of the injured uh, and and those who were deceased, all their items were taken and collected. And for those survivors and people who uh, left those devices there, they were areas where they were told they could come back and pick them up. And there have been hundreds of reports of their phones, their laptops, their iPads, wiped clean of all messages and videos and you know this is we talk about um some dark stuff i mean wh- they, these people are are basically inadvertently you know throwing huge red flags up at the uh, citizen journalists and people who are trying to get to the truth when we see just the whole uh the whole situation and everything that's that's happened and the police response and how they're acting and the information we're getting, something much more nefarious is going on here, especially if they're wiping out the memories of the phones by the victims and survivors of the shooting and people who lost them at the event. If they're wiping all the the videos, photos, and messages out, off of the phones, obviously there's something that they're trying to hide.
3: Yes. My um, position at the moment, based on everything that I've looked into so far, is that there were multiple shooters, and that there are different levels of the cover-up of that. On the one hand, we have the city of Las Vegas itself, which everybody understands runs on gambling and runs on tourist business, and runs on people flying in from all over the world and feeling that they're on holiday and vacation and that they're safe. So the city itself, including the police, have a tremendous vested interest in trying to narrow this event down to a single crazy person. And therefore they would be able to say everything is okay now it's going to stay okay we had this horrible thing happen it was one crazy person and that's it for them to suddenly admit you know these witnesses are right and there were multiple shooters and there was collusion and cooperation and planning on the part of a number of people now opens up for example the possibility of an intentional terrorist attack in which case Vegas would still be extremely vulnerable to that sort of thing in the future. That's one level of the cover-up. But beyond that, I would say that the cover-up involves the agenda. It's not only, let's now take the guns away from everybody. I mean, we've seen that before in many of these mass shootings. But also, let's install an even greater surveillance and police state throughout america which by which i'm not talking now about national security agency spying electronically and so forth i'm talking about the physical presence of metal detectors uh, backscatter x-ray machines mm-hmm. in any place you can imagine where people gather all manner of sporting events malls concerts shopping centers, schools, public buildings, you name it, you name it, community centers, churches, in an effort to say, well, you not only have to trade part of your freedom for security, you're going to have to trade a lot more now, and Vegas is the proof that we must do this. Yeah. So th- that to me is very much on the table.
1: And as part of this investigation, you know, there are some, some strange things that came out of it in the day or two after the shooting happened. There were reports of a man, a female with a man walking around the venue 45 minutes before the shooting, stating that, you know, you're all going to die. Um, and. We see that those reports, you know, nobody followed up on them. Nobody found out who, who the, uh, person was, um, who made these comments. There was also a post on the internet by an anonymous man named John who said that Las Vegas was going to have an event soon where people were going to die. And they were Michael Chertoff and his friends with Sheldon Adelson and they were going to position themselves to put these uh, backscatter and x-rays in all the casinos and, and universities and high schools in Nevada. And when we look at what happened in 2009, the attempted Christmas Day bombing on one of the uh, flights, I think it was out of Seattle, where a man tried to ig- ignite a detonatable explosive that was in his shoe, stopped by passengers. That is when Michael Chertoff, who had owned uh, a stake in Rapiscan, Uh, dispensed the body scanners to the airports and he made tons of money and this poster on september 10th or september 11th almost a month before the shooting warned that this was going to happen in las vegas then you have the the people from the ceo of the uh... mgm to others selling their stocks and george soros putting put options on their stocks in you know weeks leading up to the vegas attack asking, leaving us to ask the question obviously was there foreknowledge obviously more people involved in foreknowledge of this event um, you know, it's pretty crazy everything we just went over and, and here yeah. we are three here weeks we out are. and we still don't have a motive, we don't know who this paddock person was, if he was just a patsy or not and you know uh, who two knows more if things. we'll ever find out
3: <clears throat> two more things that I would throw in here, one is You can see now how absurd it was for first the Las Vegas police, followed by the FBI, to say within hours of this mass shooting that they know there was only one shooter. Because that was the real crux of the initial press conference. And it was bolstered time and time again in other statements from the police and the FBI and other press conferences and they made specific allusion to online independent media who were saying that there were multiple shooters and saying that this was absurd and it was obstructive and it was getting in the way of the investigation and people should pay no attention to it etc 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 so That, to me, is an immediate tip-off, that the story is not right and the investigators are compromised when they're obviously acting under instructions from the beginning to claim that they know that there was only one shooter. And the other thing I would point out, and I wrote a long piece uh, about this, because of the involvement of the FBI... We're now talking about the FBI evidence lab because surely the forensics of this um, horrendous event are not going to be analyzed primarily by the Las Vegas Police Department. They're going to be analyzed by the FBI in their evidence lab. I'm talking about which weapons were used in the shooting, which bullets were used. Which victims were hit by which bullets at what angles to determine, for example, where the shots were actually coming from and many other very significant factors. Well, the history of the FBI evidence lab, and I'm not, and I'm now talking about mainstream press revelations, which I quoted in my article going back to 2014 totally rake the FBI evidence lab over the coals. Thousands of cases starting at least as far back as 2000, the year 2000, have been cooked and slanted and distorted by the FBI lab to gain prosecutions, including up to 32 people who have been since executed for murder. And including the Oklahoma City bombing which I wrote a book about in 1995, the revelation there was that the FBI lab assumed on the basis of reports from Oklahoma City that the <coughs> the explosion that caused the destruction in the federal building was an ammonium nitrate plus fuel oil bomb in a rider truck parked at the curb they slanted all of their forensic examinations to align with that claim so there really was no evidence per se that that was the bomb that destroyed the federal building in Oklahoma City that's how corrupt that lab is so now these are the people who are going to, if they ever do, issue reports on what they have found in Las Vegas.
1: Wow. Yeah, I mean, who can, who can we trust at this point? It mm-hmm. is, um, you know, the FBI from the Hillary Clinton email investigation uh, to the even the new information that's come out today about the Uranium One deal. Uh, to their handling of this shooting, they have proven themselves, many people will say incompetent, but I don't think they're incompetent for a second. They're very capable. They're just, they're, they're willfully corrupt. They are, uh, hindering. They're, they're not doing any justice for the American people. These people are the protectors of the elite and the criminals, and that is their first and foremost job is to, you know, keep the intelligence agencies and all their operations safe uh from the the prying eyes of the the public who's thirsty for truth and they are the gatekeepers of that truth and they are are uh, obscuring it in any and every way that they can and it is so frustrating to see uh um, but i guess we're just going to have to continue as citizen journalists to uh, you know dig ourselves to to uh find out the truth and make and force their hand uh that you know and and let them know that they're not going to be able to continue to get away with this Uh, because there are people out there who will show the truth and not be afraid to do so. John, where do you want to go from here? I know you got a lot on your radar.
3: Boy, there's so many, so many stories, uh, that are crucial at the moment.
1: We got the California wildfires that, um, you know, I saw some interesting videos. And I don't put too much stock into some of the, the things I, I saw at first where people were, were noting how the uh, one thing, how all these fires started basically, or many of the fires started, all around the same time, on, I think it was on October 9th. And even firefighters, the uh, Berkeley Engine Company 6, put a video out on their first call, showed how much, how many, I mean, we're talking thousands of homes were already burned up but before these guys even got out there and got a chance to fight this blaze, leaving many to wonder, you know, was arson involved? Was it some kind of attack? Then we've seen other videos where, you know, on the side of the road, you have cars that are melted down, you know, mm. into the pavement, but the trees right next to it are unscathed, um, you know, leaving many to ask, was there, is there something else going on here? But uh, just on the, the this being the most historic wildfires in California history, the amount of properties that have been destroyed uh, the the uh, death toll that is continuing to rise and the number of missing uh, do you think there's something more that meets the eye here or do you think this just uh, the, they had the perfect conditions uh, with the winds and everything for these fires to spread and cause this kind of damage
3: No, uh, <clears throat> I think that there's something more here um, I lived in California in southern California for I don't know 35 years and if you if you live there, you know that there are certain times of the year when these fires break out. They break out at the driest times. And typically, you know, there are large swaths of California that are dry most of the year. And in most cases of these fires that I observed over the years and the press reports about them rarely 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 did you ever see any mainstream articles questioning how the fires began occasionally they would admit arson but most of the time the reader the viewer was left to conclude that somehow the conditions caused the fire well i'm sorry but you know conditions don't cause fires Either it's by accident or on purpose. You need ignition. The sun is not going to start a fire just uh, spontaneously every September or October, like clockwork in, in California. So from these pictures of these melted cars and so forth, as you mentioned, and the trees standing and so forth, <clears throat> to me, any forensic investigator would conclude that that the first uh, strongest likelihood is that this was set on purpose and maybe not set just in one place <laughs> excuse me but in multiple places more or less at the same time yeah and that, what, that's what, what the motive would be you know you could speculate on that but it doesn't seem to be quote a natural occurrence at all
1: well, you know, I did some investigating and in, in researching into, um, you know, different cases of, of people being arrested and charged. I was supr- surprised when I uh, did a search last week of uh, California wildfire arson of how many cases there were of people either out on bail or uh, facing charges for intentionally trying to start and starting wildfires. And also, they, if, if we go back, you know, to the terrorism angle, The Al-Qaeda magazine has published articles in the past detailing how and when to set fires and where to do it as to get the maximum effect. And there was also reports, uh, I I read one report where they were looking for a man in a car who threw some kind of incendiary device out of the car that started one of the fires near Santa Rosa. Now that story has, has quietly went away, and we haven't heard any mention of it since but uh and many people also ask you know are the, is the weather modification you know whatever they're spraying in the air that is uh polluting the soil the vegetation is this adding to the intensity of these wildfires and i think it's a really good question that needs to be asked and scientifically studied uh to understand you know are are these chemicals having uh these harmful effects on the environment unintended consequences that um you know they weren't supposed to have or didn't think they would have but it's, um, it's very troubling. Uh,
3: it is indeed because look in a relatively open society where not everything is on lockdown. The vulnerabilities are just endless for yeah. terrorists. That's just the way it is. And so. Obviously, the mainstream press, the government, and so forth wants to minimize all of this, even though there are articles that, you know, invoke fear or are meant to invoke fear when they talk about, uh, you know, power grid and all of that sort of thing. Well, I'll give you uh, a quick story here. Uh, this was back in 1984. I had just started Work as a reporter. And the Olympics were coming to Los Angeles. I was writing articles about nuclear power plants at the time, or a few articles. And there was a, a small reactor in West Los Angeles, Westwood, near the UCLA campus. Right smack, you know, within a few minutes downtown. Westwood, which is a busy area, very busy. And there are other uh, nuclear power plants, of course, in Southern California. So I began to put two and two together, and I, I thought to myself, well, gee, you know, this is incredibly vulnerable. I mean, the Olympics are coming. There's going to be all kinds of people coming in and out of the city, uh, from all countries in the world and uh so i wrote a piece about this and i i focused on for example a uh, a small nuclear reactor up the coast from los angeles that was easily accessible by sea no kinds of security uh you know on, on call or standing right this piece was published by a German magazine stern And after I wrote it, I started feeling like, geez, you know, I gotta tell somebody about this. I mean, there's no response. I'm not getting any response. So I decided, okay, I'm just gonna start calling agencies. And as far as I can recall, I made three calls. I called the FBI, I called the CIA, (laughs) and they were not interested in the slightest.
1: Wow, okay.
3: And then I thought, well, I'll try the Secret Service, because Reagan is coming to Los Angeles for the Olympics. I got on the phone. They switched me to somebody. It was kind of odd, because it was as if they knew who I was. I can't say they did. I don't know. But this Secret Service agent... You know, I told the first person that answered the phone who I was, the article that I wrote and that I thought I should, you know, warn people. So when the second guy got on the phone, he said something like, all he said was, okay, go. And I felt, okay, they're taping me. So I just ran through the article. All of the vulnerabilities that I had found in nuclear reactors. And then he said, okay, you finished? I said, yes. He said, okay, thank you. Hung up. That's huh. all I ever knew. I don't know anything else. But, I mean, that's just an example of the incredible vulnerability to terrorism. And, unfortunately, people don't, you know, like the fires. Terrorism, fire, the, you know, they don't make that connection. Whereas, as you said, any group that is uh, has terrorism on their minds... Is going to be doing research, you know, <laughs> yeah. about the the easiest ways to commit terrorism.
1: No, you're absolutely right. Um, we got about 22 minutes left, John. I want to kind of switch gears because I want to get your opinion on this. This whole uh, we're seeing this explosion of exposing uh, corruption, and uh, specifically with with Hillary Clinton and the FBI. There's some new information that's come out today about the FBI having uh, proof of Hillary Clinton receiving a bunch of money to her foundation to clear a uranium one deal to to the Russians, and it's been shown that the Russians were bribing people. And um, we also have Hollywood, the, this Harvey Weinstein uh, avalanche that has now turned into this just huge news story. As day after day we see new A-list celebrities. Coming out and giving their detailed accounts of uh, sexual assaults and sexual harassment that they have endured, not only as adult women actresses but also as uh, you know teenagers. We also have males coming out talking about how they have been sexually assaulted by other males in Hollywood. Now, I, I said all that because this is a, is is taking up so much of the news, uh, all this breaking information coming out of Hollywood. But this behavior has been going on since Hollywood has been around, and everybody knew it. The same people who are reporting it now were the same ones who had buried stories 10, 5, 10, 15 years ago who were going to expose it. So my question to you, John, is what do you think is going on? Why now? Is this some kind of coordinated attack against Harvey Weinstein? Uh, I can't, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. But it seems like the attention was drawn away from either Las Vegas or something else or tr- being, uh, diverted to this Hollywood story.
3: Yeah. I've had the same thought. Because this is now, you know, is it ever going to stop? I mean, the story just keeps on spreading and expanding and, and, uh, carrying gigantic headlines and so on. A couple things that I can think of uh people may remember and i believe we talked about it on the show before the documentary film called vaxed which exposed a center uh, for disease control uh scheme to exonerate the mmr vaccine measles mumps rubella as having no connection to autism when in fact This longtime researcher at the CDC, William Thompson, admitted publicly in 2014 that he and his high-level colleagues at the CDC cooked the data, omitted data, in order to come to that conclusion when, in fact, the vaccine did increase the risk of autism. This was a major story that never got play to any degree in the mainstream press, but out came an independent documentary about a year later called Vaxed, which was all about mm-hmm. this, and it was supposed to be shown at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York, headed up by Robert De Niro. De Niro suddenly canceled it. That became a story. He claimed that other filmmakers, uh, at the, at the festival were very angry that he was going to uh, screen it and this and that, and he canceled it. But then, at the same time, he said, "But this is an important movie, and everybody should see it." Well, people began to discover that De Niro has an autistic child, and that he knows about the vaccine connection. And he went on several talk shows subsequently and talked about this. And then stories began to appear eventually that he and Harvey Weinstein were going to cooperate on making their own documentary about vaccines. Well, this obviously was not going to be a documentary that uh, praised vaccines to the sky. It was going to be some kind of an expose. Now, I can't claim that I know that this is why the story about Weinstein has now surfaced and exploded. I don't know. But it's one of those things because... Weinstein happens to be a major player, or was, in Hollywood. And if he got behind that kind of film, or his connections in the media, and so on and so forth, it could have created a an international firestorm on the issue of vaccines, which the medical cartel in no way is willing to have happen this is the last thing they possibly want so there's an example for instance of something that is now obviously not going to happen that film will not be produced it's dead in the water gone so there's there's a possibility and I think another thing that's going to happen which is really a continuation of a cultural trend here. On the one side, you have exactly what these stories are detailing. Hollywood, since it it began, has always been the casting couch, sex, rape, abuse, young boys, young girls. I mean, you know, it's been forever. But At the same time, now what we have is this gigantic movement to blame everybody all the time for not only rape, abuse, harassment, but any kind of word or gesture that could possibly be interpreted by a woman or even a man as being some sort of attempt at... What do we call it? Seduction. So that political correctness now is going to escalate into the sky beyond anything that's happened before in all areas of American life and culture to the point where people are going to be terrified of being accused of having some sort of uh, sex abuse motive for words they speak, actions they take, gestures they make. And this story fits the bill to a T, to just escalate that beyond anything that's even happened so far.
1: Very well said, John Rappaport is our guest. No more fake news dot com is his website. Uh, bookmark the website and follow that. He's always got great analysis. Um, on, on that site, and I love to read the uh, articles that he puts together. It is fantastic. I want to kind of switch gears here, if we can. The I'm not sure how much you've been following the uh, independence movement of Catalonia from Spain, but now they're talking about these populist movements and the breakaway from the EU in Scotland, Catalonia, now Milan, and in Venice. And do you think this is gonna, this will be a trend, uh, of this, you know, the beginning of the end for the European Union as the citizens of these nations move to a more populist mindset, wanting to be independent from the, uh, the, the EU body and just have their independent countries? Uh, and what, what, if, if that's the case, uh, what is that going to do to the geopolitical, uh, world that we live in? Boy, this is a
3: gigantic story. It is. Yeah. I hope so. Okay, let me start with that. I hope so. I hope that these independent movies, um, uh, movements take off. Uh, I mean, they're already taking off. The recent election just the other day in Austria, for example, seems to be, um, and Trump deserves some credit for this. I don't care what you think of him one way or another. Or to, I'm talking to the audience out there. He lit a match. You can say, well, he never really meant it. He's just another globalist pawn. Whatever you say, it doesn't matter. His words lit a match. And that notion of national nations, sovereign nations as something that should be reinstated as opposed to these horrendous regional authorities like the European Union, are vital at this time because we are being sucked up into and swallowed up by globalism, which is one planet, one nation, no borders, top-down control, total. Under the guise of, hey, it's paradise, folks. I have been writing about this for years and I, I do write about the European Union and I do believe that there is a chance that it will break up many many people in Europe want that to happen people who are not asleep who recognize that they've been bamboozled completely really since the end of World War Two. Oh, the common market, we need this, we need that And then Mm -hmm. the European Commission And finally, we have what is basically One government over much of Europe Which is the European Union Which is a monster bureaucracy I spent an afternoon actually trying to read Rules and regulations about how the EU worked And I mean, you... It was just like entering a giant labyrinth in a nightmare from which you could never escape. It was just unbelievable to see the tons and tons of regulations and so forth that they issue, among which is, by the way, open borders and massive influx of migrants throughout Europe. They are the primary promoters, along with Merkel and Germany, who has of course a vital position in the EU to essentially create borderless nations in Europe and destroy all sovereignty, all custom, all tradition, all sense of local native populations which is why Brexit in England, the move to separate from the European Union succeeded and i am optimistic that these nationalistic and secessionist who continue and expand that people are just sick of tired of this whole thing and they're fed up with it completely and they want their own sovereignty back this is a gigantic story
1: it I is mean, a gigantic story and the eu and the the governments of these countries are trying so hard uh, even using uh oppressive police tactics at the in Catalonia we saw the day of the vote of the referendum the police out in full force over 900 people were injured as police officers brutally beat people who were trying to go vote uh for their independence and we have seen threats from the Spanish government saying you know there will be uh, economic and other consequences if you follow through with this uh independence movement and we see the same thing with with a lot of these other countries they are saying you know they will fight back and they won't they are they are not going to go quietly into allowing these nations to vote themselves out of the EU and i see as you just outlaid the the uh, people uh, of these nations see the dis- disastrous policies the economic bondage that they're put under uh by you know, the the EU and these other globalist organizations and they want to be free from that at the same time these globalist evil organizations uh need these people to be their little worker bees so they can pay their their taxes so these other people don't have to work they just sit back and collect the money and dictate policy for total global control and this is you know truly a battle of um you know sovereignty versus globalism and Hopefully we're seeing the beginning of a very powerful movement that leads to a new chapter in European politics.
3: I I, I say I hope so. I surely hope so. And I, I'm encouraged. At the same time, now that the U.K. has voted on Brexit and they say we want out and they won the vote, there is now kind of a retrenching uh, this goes along with what you just said at the top in the UK of political leaders who are saying well this is difficult and it's kind of untangle all of this and this and that and they're talking about a term that they have coined called soft Brexit under this the UK would continue to be basically a member nation of the European Union In practice, although not in name, they would keep the exact same trade relationships with other nations that are formulated under the EU. Large numbers of immigrants would still be permitted to come to England, but they would still call it Brexit, which is, of course, insane and absurd. So this is the kind of thing that you see. They don't want to let go. They don't intend to let go. This is a battle. You voted you want to leave. We don't care. We're going to fix it. So you can't leave. And exactly for the reason that you outlined. These unelected leaders of the European Union want to sit back and do nothing and collect enormous amounts of money. And, I mean, we're talking under the table, behind the door, in the back room every which way. There are so many multiple relationships with the pharmaceutical cartel. Uh, it's just boggling as to who's making all kinds of money on this. And then, of course, the primary motive to exert top-down power, to control all the people, to collect their taxes, to fit them into... Slots. You belong here. You do this. We are now talking about Europe as one nation. And in order to make this wonderful and peaceful for everybody, all the citizens have to comply. They have to work here. They have to work there. They produce this. They do that. A slow kind of morphing into a Soviet Union type structure, except that the the mega corporations will be permitted to continue what they're doing because they know how to do it as opposed to what happened in the Soviet Union where everybody just went completely insane under communism but that's the plan and they're going to fight to keep the plan and it's not just in Europe that's what we're seeing now but it's around the world where people say, well, why can't we be independent? Why can't we have our own nation? We can do much better than the people that are running things can do. Yeah, this yeah. is, yeah. this is huge.
1: John, we only got about five minutes left of the interview and I want to just ask you, is there anything that's on your radar that you want to get into that we haven't covered yet?
3: Well, I have a story that I just posted. It's can't really cover it in five minutes, and you and I have talked about this before, and it concerns personal issues and public issues. But I just did an interview, which I posted with a genuine insider about the opioid epidemic in America that are, that is killing vast numbers of people. And he laid out to me, the criminal network and how it operates, the pipeline, how it all adds up and what they are doing and what the government was trying to do to stop it and how a new law has been passed that makes it much more difficult to stop it. We're not talking about honorable, honest doctors prescribing pain medication to patients who are in severe pain. This is no part of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about essentially drug traffickers and millions upon millions of doses illegally brought out into the streets and sold to make addicts and to kill people. And he laid it all out to me and I said, well, at the end of it, I said, you're talking about pharmaceutical companies at the top of here. He said, absolutely. I said, I mean, the, the millions and millions and millions of, of illegally prescribed, illegally prescribed, gigantically harmful in large doses pills could only come from <laughs> pharmaceutical companies originally. He said, absolutely. Absolutely. And they yeah. know it.
1: Yeah, you they know, a know. lot of people... Are wondering why more action is not being taken against the pharmaceutical companies. Then you have the whole, uh, you know, giving doctors kickbacks for, uh, prescribing these to people. That's a practice that I believe needs to be looked at. Um, you also have, I saw somewhere today, <clears throat> and I don't know where I saw it, but, uh, I believe it was, uh, China. They're going after the US in some capacities going after the company or companies that are making these massive amounts of fentanyl and carfentanil and shipping them to the US uh the United States is going after these companies in China but the op- opioid epidemic and the overdoses uh have overtaken the as, as the number one cause of death in America it's it's horrific to think um you know that this is being uh you know done just for the purpose of a profit and to get more people, you know, hooked on these drugs, and it, it is crazy, um, you know, to see the the abuses in the system. And we talk about the other side of this on this at the same time. People who actually do need these medications in some cases aren't able to get them due to the you know the the huge nature of the problem of opioid abuse in America. So it's really a a bad situation
3: on both sides. One oh, of the yeah. things that I'll just quickly uh He confirmed what I thought, which is there are doctors, rogue doctors, 75 to a day for opioids, like clockwork every day. Every day, boom, 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 In some cases, the idea would be you just write the prescriptions without the patient. So when the patients show up in droves who are really drug dealers you've got the prescriptions ready you sell it to them they fill the prescriptions they fly home from a nowhere little tiny medical clinic in a nowhere town out in the middle of nowhere in say West Virginia they fly home to wherever they are and then they start trafficking yeah so there's that end of it as well and uh, who knows when you go deep enough into this story beyond the money which is considerable what you find for example what's china really doing here is this part of an operation you know i mean this is chemical warfare
1: oh yeah yeah it is so
3: you yeah. know <laughs> you got to think about that right
1: <laughs> absolutely we do we only got about uh, 30 seconds left no more fake news dot com and if you go there, read John's latest piece, The Individual Versus the Fake Collective. Uh, I've been skimming through this, haven't had the chance to read it because we've been on air, but it talks about uh, a number of ways that people are manipulated through psyops and television and all these different uh, techniques that help to get people to groupthink in wrong ways and uh, how individuality is being uh, just destroyed In our society. John Rappaport, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to having you back on in the near future. It was a great interview, and again, thank you so much.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
1: All right, folks, when we come back after this network break, we will be joined by Pastor Mike Spaulding, host of Soaring Eagle Radio. He's got a number of places he wants to go tonight that are uh, very important and relevant to the things we see happening in our world today, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on this edition of the Hagman Report.
6: Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In as the darkness falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator,
5: Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com.
1: Our third and final hour on this Tuesday edition of the Hagman Report. Our guest this hour is Pastor Mike Spaulding, and uh, we got a lot we're going to get into today. He's the host of Soaring Eagle Radio, and he's got a few websites: drmikespalding.com, soaringeagleradio.com. And Pastor Mike has been a guest on our show in the past, and he offers tremendous insight into spiritual and uh, spiritual and current events. That we see unfolding in our world, Pastor Spalding. Welcome back to the show.
0: Much for the invitation. It's Always a treat to be on with you.
1: Well, it, it's great to have you. I know uh, as we were talking before the show here uh that we attempted a number of times to get you on, and we had scheduling conflicts on your end and on our end, and it just wasn't working out. But today we, we got a, we got it locked down, and we yeah. are ready to go. Uh, you're fresh yes. off of a conference that uh, yes. you're pretty excited about. Let's get into that.
0: Okay, sure. Yeah, I was in uh, Oklahoma City this past uh, weekend, late last week and this weekend, uh, with a number of other folks uh, from our fellowship here in Ohio. My wife, Kathy, is there, uh, oldest daughter, her husband, sister, went So We had a whole whole group of folks that went out in we Oklahoma City for the uh, first annual uh, Prophecy Watchers' Blessed Hope Conference, and uh, I, I just want to give a uh, uh, kudos to uh, Gary Stearman and uh, Bob Ulrich for putting that on. Uh, one thing that struck me, though, Joe, was that uh, the lineup, uh, all great speakers, the uh, topics the fantastic, uh, but as I was looking down through the schedule for the weekend, I thought, wow, uh, probably 80% of these folks have been on with Doug and Joe <laughs> at some point. Uh, people like uh, Bill Solace, Paul McGuire, uh, Barry, Sharon Gilbert, Josh Peck, uh, Michael Lake, Bob McGinnis, Ellie Marzulli, uh, Billy Crone. So that, that kind of gives you uh, the, the tone, the tenor, the flavor, a little insight into it what type of conference it was. It was, it was uh, really aimed at equipping, educating, and encouraging believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to uh, stand strong, remain firm, and be these dark days. So I just wanted to to bring that up and encourage people, if they live at the uh, Oklahoma City area, to be, be on the lookout for That conference is an annual event. Uh, There's certainly other good conferences all around uh, the state that folks can check into. But the proxy watchers they do a they did a very good job uh, on this conference. It's it's top notch and uh, first class speakers. So very encouraged coming back off of that. And the the message again was to uh, don't blink, don't back down, even though we're in dark days. Don't. But don't be discouraged Don't be fearful But stay in the game stand in the fight The Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua our Messiah Has won the battle already So just keep that in mind
1: Amen uh, Pastor Spalding I want to ask you about What you see I know you do a lot of these conferences We do a few ourselves uh, But you seem to do do a lot more than us um, Are do are, have we seen an increase in uh, people wanting to attend these events and attending the these events? Is the in decline? Uh, what's the attitude like with the people? Are they, are they hopeful? Are they nervous? Because um, we meet a whole, a whole, all different kinds when we do these events, but there always seems yeah. to be uh, some overwhelming feeling of of if it, was it good or bad or um, yeah. where we are headed?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Joe. It's been my experience that folks are, are hopeful and they want to be reminded of the reasons why they should be hopeful. Uh, you know, we all share the, the Holy Spirit as he guides in each one of us that name the name of Jesus, as Savior and Lord. We share that common bond of, of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a, a, a common message that the Holy Spirit is speaking to, his, to God's people today. And that is to be encouraged to keep your your eyes focused on on the goal, on the prize that Paul, the apostle Paul, called it the upward calling in our lives. To keep focused on that, don't don't slip into despair. And it would certainly be easy to do that. I understand with all of the uh, the, the evil that is just right in your face today, uh, it would be easy to slip into. State of despair. And I think that's one of the great things. It's conferences all over America uh, that, are, that are fighting the good fight. Now, there are conferences, I, I have to say this, though: so there are some conferences that uh, I've attended in the past I no longer do because they, they've kind of lost their way. Uh, it's just a rehash of things that people really don't need to hear. The conferences like uh, true legend that we just had in Branson I think it was in September Miss Steve Claire was out there Tom Horne was there Michael Wake, was uh, there Gilbert was there I, I know I probably missed uh, some speakers but they were there and I saw them to Michael Wake this past weekend and said there they were over just 3,000 folks there pretty much sold out the folks just uh but are very encouraged. We gave to all of them so very highly about the conference itself in that it equipped them to really stay the course. That's what that's really what it's all about in these, these uh, days that we live in. So I think it's about staying the course, being, being reminded and encouraged with the power and authority that we have like followers in this day and age. Uh, In the face of evil, again, it's easy to think that we're outnumbered, that we're going to be overwhelmed. The fact of the matter is that our enemy, they are very desperate. I think that's why we're seeing many of these things come to pass, because our enemy is very desperate, pulling out all of the stops, trying to bull rush God's people. But I would remind those that are listening to it. tonight, that the Lord Jesus Christ said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against His church, against His true people. So that won't happen. But take courage, brothers and sisters that are listening. Uh, there are many good places you can connect them. Joe, I, I appreciate the, the opportunity to say this. Um, I support uh, to find yourself a good, Bible teaching, Bible belief, fellowship, get plugged in. You need the fellowship, and you need the community. And that's the picture that we see in the New Testament. That Christ has a, a body. They gather on a regular basis for encouragement and for equipping. So don't don't neglect to do that, folks. Make sure that you're doing that, getting, getting your spiritual strength and getting your armor on each day. So that's a long-winded response to your question, Joe. I think these conferences uh, are serving a, a very valuable uh, purpose within the body today. They're equipping believers you know, to stand strong wherever they're at. Because uh, this one in Oklahoma City, there were people from all over North America. There were people that came in from the United Kingdom. There were people from Ireland. Uh, there were people from... Uh, Southeast Asia, all of the states, Canada. I mean, it is it, just remarkable. I would I'd say probably 1,500 folks there for this past weekend. So get plugged in someplace, folks, and, and be encouraged. Uh, we are winning today despite what it looks like.
1: about the, the conferences that are so great is not only the, the people that are there, uh, from those in attendance to those that are speaking, but the variety of topics that are discussed, and as you said, the encouragement that it uh, that people leave with, and really, you know, that kind of encouragement is what people should be receiving from their church on a weekly basis, and, yeah. uh, you know, from the, the conviction to the words of, of encouragement, and that is missing, that enthusiasm is missing from so many of the churches here today in this country, whether it's because of the uh, the doctrines the pastor uh, preaches, the the ideology, or, you know, in many cases we see the, this watered-down Christianity where, uh, you know, the, the pastors only want to talk about, you know, like the... Joel Olstein gets used as an, a lot as an example. You know, your best life now. Um, never talking about sin. Never talking about repentance. Uh, never talking about healing and and walking in in your walk with the Lord. It's always what you can do better for yourself today and for yourself. Yeah. You know, and we. Yeah. It seems like the air has been let out of the church. And <clears throat> if we were really uh, the church were supposed to be, we would be able to affect a lot of the social changes that we see going in the opposite direction the the direction of of just depravity from the you know the lgBT stuff to the abortions to uh you know the the transgendered issues it, it just on and on and on. I actually saw a video today where at the uh, Na- the Obama Library. Uh, there was a library in California that was named after, or named in Obama's name, or Michelle Obama's name, was actually a drag queen reading, uh, who looked like a. Uh, she was dressed up as some kind of satanic goat, reading an LGBT pride book to children, and, you know, this this kind of thing. Uh, yeah, here photo of satanic drag queen reading to children at Obama Library in California triggers outrage. The article is on. Silence, silence. Oh goodness, here silence. dot I cons, Iconsent.net, and a photo of a satanic drag queen reading to children at Obama library triggers outrage. And it, it, uh, the photo depicts a satanic drag queen reading to a small children at Michelle Obama neighborhood library in Long Beach, California, sparked national outrage after it went viral on social media. The event was part of the Long Beach Library System celebration of LGBTQ History Month and National Coming Out Day, and the article goes on to list the details and um, shows the the pictures of this person in this h- horrific outfit. It looks like uh, you know people are so concerned about these people dressing up as clowns as the It movie uh, is coming out. This. Is much <laughs> scarier than any clown i 've ever seen, but this is the kind of stuff that is acceptable in our society today, and Jesus and the Bible are not anymore, and that is because the Christians have not done their duty in standing in the gap and uh, and also in being the example that we are told to be uh, not only to believe but told to be in in uh, the gospel it 's really frustrating to watch. Yeah, it, it's
0: very frustrating, Joe. And you're absolutely right. There's, uh, the plan that we have uh, tonight it would be part of a hack. All of the influences and variables that have contributed to the place that we find ourselves in. It, it, it certainly starts with, uh, with the fact that you and your dad talk about this uh, without end. And and you should continue to do so. But that is this. The United States of America, the government of the United States of America is a boss, a paid-for criminal organization. It's being run by a user You can't say that enough. It's being run by user theory. How else can you explain situations occurring? As you just mentioned, uh, how could a former president want anything remotely resembling uh, this costumed drag queen being associated with his name, And, and yet he seems to delight in this I'm teaching through Mark now. Several weeks ago, I went through this passage. But I reminded people, listen, if you want to understand what the mission statement was of Jesus, if you want to understand what was primary on Jesus' mind, what his concern was, what he believed that he was supposed to be focusing on you need to read the first couple of chapters of Mark because you're going to find nothing all throughout there. This is the first one, Joe. Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What he's saying is, I've arrived now in fulfillment of God's plan, God's timing. And here's my message. Very simple. Repent and believe the gospel. Boy, that sure flies in the face of uh, what we see and hear today in many churches is the message that they claim that Jesus came to bring. Well, we don't have to invent anything, Joe. It's right there in front of us. Jesus said, repent, repent, and believe the gospel. That's the only way to salvation. Now, uh, we could go on. Um, we move on to verse 38 of Mark 1. And Jesus told those disciples who were following him at that time, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I can preach there also. And then get this statement, for that is what I came for. That is what I came for. This this pseudo-Jesus that we see being talked about and taught in a good many places today is not the biblical Jesus. It's not the real Jesus. It's not the Jesus that came and turned over the, the Wendler's tables roll out the merchants from the temple. Not that it's, 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 uh, it's, uh, it's the loving, it's, it's the Father of Jesus, is what I like to say. People get the idea immediately when I contrast it like that. But if we don't get back to the gospel, Joe, we'll get back to teaching the scriptures. <laughs> that reminds me of something that uh, Mike Heiser said once. Uh, I was speaking with him. I told him, I said, Mike, I'm going to steal that line because that is a great line. And uh, I throw it out there every now and again. But simply this. It is not the job of any pastor, any Bible teacher, any ministry leader. It is not the job of a Bible teacher to protect people, those listening to the teaching. It's not their job to protect people from their Bible. And what that means is that the Bible says something very differently what most Christians think it means. But the reason that most Christians are confused about the Bible is because they don't study it for themselves. They just accept, uh, just like taking uh, experience feeding a baby, they just accept what a Bible teacher has to say. Well, Joe, I can tell you something. There are, there are a lot of false teachers out there today that are just throwing stuff out there for the consumption of believers and uh, without any study, without any conviction of the spirit, without any leading of the spirit, they're doing it because they think it sounds good, with put people in the queues, or they keep the money coming into the office. Like, I don't see any difference between these modern day uh so called preachers, the snake oil salesmen At uh, of the eighteen hundreds, to be quite frank.
1: Yeah, you know <clears throat> there is uh unfortunately the, what you what you just said a few sentences ago that uh you know most christians don't even know what's in the scriptures what's in the bible is so disheartening and yes you know there are uh there is a place for for pastors uh ministers and spiritual leaders in our society but in reality each and every believer themselves has not only the duty but the responsibility To be as well versed in the Bible as uh, the pastors and spiritual leaders are. And you mentioned, you know, how the scripture says, iron sharpeth iron. But if, you know, you have one person or one Christian out of a hundred in a church that knows their Bible real well, uh, and that person, say, has some kind of uh, ill intent toward the congregation, you know before you know it he can mislead them and create a whole new uh gospel and basically religion based on his own interpretations this is why it's so important that we're not told what's in the bible by other people that we learn not only from reading but from what the holy spirit imparts on us when we read and when we pray and it seems that a lot of the country has decided that the scriptures uh, are not as important as they used to be, especially with all this uh, advancements in technology. And I'm guilty of this too. Between the phone, you know, TV, the internet, um, you know, reading news stories, and, and you know, not giving as, enough attention daily as I need to to the Bible. Back in the old days, people didn't have all these uh, visual distractions to deal with, and they used their time more wisely than we do today. Today, people, yeah. you know, we're at the, we're at the forefront of uh, this information highway, and yet it seems that we know less and less and less, even though there's you know more information out there now than ever, and it's very frustrating, especially in the Christian world, to see so many uninformed Christians, where you have these doctrinal debates, whether it's the pre-tribulation or post-tribulation rapture, uh, or you know this once saved always saved, uh, you know these arguments um, about. Doctrinal debates that can be solved If each and every person just read and studied their Bible and asked the Lord for the discernment On what they are reading And it's not something that can happen overnight But I would challenge folks um, Ten minutes a day, read your Bible For ten minutes a day, start there Whether it's the first thing you do in the morning or the last thing You do at night, get in the habit of doing it Or one page a day One chapter a day, whatever you're comfortable with But start somewhere, start a routine Get into that routine and go from there It's amazing what you can uh, learn when Once you start doing that And I really like the um, If you want to merge the Bible and technology There are great applications on the phone And for the computer out there I love the program eSort. You can download the Bibles, all the commentaries, all the different versions of the Bibles, uh, the concordances, and you can see what each word means in both the Greek and the Hebrew. You can do things like have a phone app where you can listen to your Bible as you read it. That's what I really like to do. And you can get the verse of the day, the, the chapter of the day. You can do reading plans. There are ways that this technology has been, uh, you know, put together so it makes the Bible more accessible and, uh, for people who are using all these electronic devices but we don't see a lot of people utilizing those tools would you say that's because we have just become spiritually complacent uh, do you think the Christian yeah. church do you think they're, they're just removed from uh, from their faith
0: yeah that, that's true in a good many cases Joe now I, speaking for my own fellowship we're just a small church uh, here in, uh, in, Lima, Ohio, uh, that, that our folks come in, uh, without exception every Sunday with either a Bible or some kind of electronic device. Now, I'm glad that you mentioned that because uh, I am seeing more and more people bring up their Bible. Uh, in fact, my wife, who was just at this conference I said, uh, earlier, uh, this past weekend, and, uh, I asked her, we were heading down to the first session uh, said, where's your bible she, said, she held up her phone and showed it to me it says uh, right here <laughs> and I you know I'm, I'm one of those old school guys so I like to have that book in my hand uh, really that's because I like to scribble and highlight underline and make notes and do all of those kinds of things and, and uh, maybe there's a device out there to allow you to do that but I'm still one of those guys that likes to have the book but uh, to to your point that you're making uh, I think the reason the major reason way why folks are not bringing their Bibles to church anymore is because the pastor's not teaching from it anyway Uh, why lug that thing in there if I'm not even going to open it up because so many Sundays there's just Maybe a scripture reading, but then the pastor will get up there and talk about everything but that. And the, sadly, today, uh, that includes uh, so many uh, themes and topics that the that culture values uh, social justice, for example, which is uh, unbiblical to the core and uh, can't be supported uh, scripturally by a Christian. If you want to know what we're supposed to be doing, Christians, then read Michael 6, 8. That, that, that's all you need to understand about that. Uh, this whole concept of social justice is nothing but a ploy of the cultural Marxist to try and, and uh, manipulate undiscerning people into doing what they want done. It's really an overthrow of, of God's morals and standards and values and ethics that
1: to say that for, for another show, Joe. <laughs> okay. Uh, Pastor Mike, I want to kind of venture off into another area that I've brought up with a, a few other pastors that we've had on the show. Um, I, I've been getting a f- quite a few emails, not so much th- this week, but maybe the, over the last three weeks, With since the eclipse and since the September 23rd planetary alignment that mimicked or matched Revelation 12, We've seen a number of of crazy uh, events happen. We had this uh, uh, sweep of hurricanes from Hurricane Harvey to Irma to um, Jose and Nate. We had uh, a few earthquakes from Japan to the bigger one in Mexico, south of Mexico City. We have, you know, the Las Vegas shooting. Many people are asking, oh my gosh, with all this stuff going on, are these uh, prophetic events unfolding before our eyes? And... I saw just an an article, uh, a really obscure piece about uh, a dancing sun, and and I'm going to read this to you. It says, uh, "What happened yesterday, October thirteenth, twenty seventeen? The dancing sun in Benin during the consecration of Nigeria, uh, our parishes and families to Immaculate Heart of Mary. The dancing sun at the venue um, was seen yesterday. Our Lady Queen." of Nigeria pray for us and it's a video of the sun uh, pulsating like a heartbeat for a matter of minutes and all these people falling to their knees and and praying Uh, but you know there's these phenomenons that have been happening for a while now all across the globe whether it's you know the mass animal die-offs to uh, you know the signs in the sun the sky and people are asking the question are these signs relevant to Uh, the prophetic nature of what we're seeing happening in our world today. What would you say to that, Pastor Mike?
0: Well, I'd say that uh, the Bible does teach that there will be an increase of natural phenomena and things like that. Uh, Specifically, in the September 23rd event, that particular interpretation, uh, Revelation 12, not one that supported that uh, not one that uh, really gave much if any credence to that viewpoint uh, I, I studied Revelation taught it uh, three times in pastoral uh, teaching ministry over the years Revelation 12 says something very specific but I didn't see it anything speaking as some were trying to say that it did and when I hear about uh, apparitions and things of that nature Joe especially as they uh, are attributed to, to Mary to,
1: to Mary yeah
0: to, to Mary uh, I, I always without exception declare that to be uh, demonic satanic Hand, uh, because there is nothing, not one verse or phrase anywhere in the scripture that says that we should expect those kinds of signs that would point to us to the adoration uh, of merit But I, right, can in fact, of and, I can show and you plenty of verses. I can show you plenty of verses which says that there will be a mass deception. And the so-called Queen of Heaven uh, will be worshipped. I can show you all kinds of passages like that. So I I would my recommendation is to stay away from that. That that is false signs meant to lead people into deception.
1: Yeah, what the scripture says about the lying signs and wonders, and you know what's interesting about and I the reason I brought that up is a few people emailed that to me to see if I had, had saw that and uh one thing that i know for sure is if the sun was really pulsating like that it wouldn't only be over nigeria uh i think we all we all would have seen <laughs> yeah. that um but no there are a number of uh you know people that are concerned that the times we live in are getting worse with what we're seeing um you know we still have these ongoing problems in the middle east the the instability isis there we see the nations of uh the original area of the bible uh, in upheaval and in chaos in turmoil, you know, and uh, what we see Israel is is in a position where they're talking about a possible, you know, a peace deal with, with the Palestinians, and Donald Trump seems to be on board to want to, you know, in his own words, you know, make the deal uh, to get that peace process ushered in. There's a lot of things that are happening that can be tied into prophetic events, and I think um, it's getting people's attention, but if the people's attention are not then reverted back to their own faith walk with Jesus, uh, what good are the, are the signs and the warnings for? And I think yeah, that's where yeah. a lot of people uh, miss the mark when we're looking at these kind kind of events. Well, I'm,
0: I'm one, Joe, that subscribes to the belief that uh, Israel is God's clock. It is his timepiece. If we want to know where we're at on a pathetic scale, all we need to do is look at what's going on uh, with Israel. Uh, Bill Koenig I don't know if, if uh, I think you guys have had him on have to do
1: yeah it's been a while yeah. but yes
0: yeah I, I would I would uh, encourage you maybe to reach out bring him back on he has he has revised uh, his, his most popular book in my opinion Eye to Eye and uh, where he chronicles all of the natural disasters, occurrences, whether it's uh, earthquakes or hurricanes or tornadoes or, or what have you, floods, uh, tsunamis, he chronicles uh, those major events and he goes from, I want to say, um, I want to say he goes all the way back to Bush 1 and chronicles from Bush 1 all the way and he just, he just released this Well, we have to include Harvey. Now, what he does, though, is he looks to see what is happening within the United States government or what is happening in the Middle East in regards to Israel. And it is astounding, you know, the, the relationship between major One of them is called the Hebrew Immigrant Aid.
1: And, you know, we had uh, Josh Tolly, uh, the radio show host on our show a while back, yeah. and he talked about the Catholic involvement of flying, uh, getting paid, I think it was $2,000 a head, for flying immigrants and, and, and uh, trafficking them into the United States. It is a big business. It is big money. It is. And it's unfortunate that these, these churches are... are Doing it specifically for the money, they're not doing it for you know what the Pope would say is you know the humanitarian and, and Christian duty uh, to help a brother. Uh, they're doing it solely for the profit, and it is not just them; it's other religious organizations. And when we have a Catholic Church and the the hierarchy who runs the Catholic Church going completely against the doctrinal foundations of the Bible, and not only that, but acting against the teachings of the Bible. Um, you know, it is very troubling to see, and we see how the, the church has become so far, how, so far removed from its intended purpose. And when we look at in the book of Acts, what the church was uh, after Jesus was resurrected and the Holy Ghost was imparted on to uh, all the people there. And the difference that they were able to make in uh, spreading that gospel, and you look at the resources and and what we have, we have everything today that they didn't, and they accomplished what what we can't even, and we can't even, uh, you know, keep up. Uh, We can't even uh, show up, basically, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it's really sad, but we were told that this was going to happen, in Scriptures, yeah. we were told that this apostasy would take place that they would create other uh, false Jesuses and other false teachings that stem from the Bible, and they have been very successful at doing that, and unfortunately, because the church is not on their toes, the church is not paying attention and is not uh, doing what is in the best interest of their relationship with the Lord. We have seen uh, so much uh, abuse, corruption. And, and scandal inside of our churches, and not only that, but the uh, so many people no longer raise their children uh, with any kind of faith, and our society is decaying morally, and, and not only that, but men- mentally and physically as well. And I think a lot of that has to do with with the spiritual spirituality aspect. Oh, it absolutely, absolutely
0: does, Joe. Uh, it has everything to do with that. Uh, when you turn your back on the Lord there are certain and dire consequences that will follow and uh, America is reaping that whirlwind and that makes it all the more important uh, for, for believers folks that are listening to this, that makes, makes it all the more important that we really double down and be serious About our relationship with the Lord and, uh, what follows from that then, if we are serious, then we are, we are willing to say as Isaiah did, here I am, send me. The Lord wants to give each of us an assignment in these last days. That's, that's one of the things that I learned from, from my military career, Joe, is that the best fighting machine is a lean, trim, fit, focused, knows the goals and objectives, and the plan to achieve those. That is the best fighting unit uh, on the face of the earth. And the church is to be that. We are to be combat ready. That doesn't mean that we've got uh, all of our supplies, you know, locked away in the basement in case we need it. No, that means that we are supposed to be ready at a moment's notice, is, you know, we, we could we talk about the whole Ephesians 6 armor thing. Uh, we're supposed to be ready at a moment's notice so that we can pick up and go where the Lord leads us. Now, what I do know is this many Christians, they don't need to travel halfway around the world, they don't need to go to a foreign country. If they want to evangelize, if they want to win souls for Christ, if they want to be in that you live in these days. Now, there are enough uh, pagans, even apostates, and lost people right there where you live. Just take your Bible, go downtown, and this is something that we did not long ago. Uh, Several of us just took backpacks full of Bibles, and and we just went downtown Lima, and uh, we just walked up to people. eternity this very night and you don't know where you hard to say. We should be able to say that to anybody that we meet and ask those questions. Are you ready to meet God? Because everybody's going to, but they will come when everybody will see it. And so we should be able to, and ready to do that, and we should be able to do that on a moment's notice. And I think that's one of the things, if the church would get that mentality back still, if, if the church would get that mentality back that that's what we're here for, that's why God left us, we to be out making him known to people, sharing the gospel, and bringing them into saving faith, if, if, if folks would understand that, I think the church would be, to be great again. And we magnify the name of the Father, when we tell people about Jesus, and we're obedient to the Holy Spirit, then God is going to be magnified. It isn't going to be political rhetoric. It isn't going to be laws that are it passed. It's going to be hearts that are changed because they've received Christ by faith. That's what's going to change America. Bill.
1: No, you're absolutely right, um, Pastor Mike Spaulding, We only have uh, just a few moments left, a few minutes left in this show, and it's uh, it's been we've covered a lot of ground so far. Uh, I want to ask you this: We see. Um, some you know this Las Vegas shooting, we see all the uh the problems with the law enforcement and their their inability to relay the facts to the American people. It seems that there is a massive cover up going on. We see in Hollywood um, the sexual abuse scandals that are in the forefront of the news as Hollywood continues to unravel as day after day more celebrities are coming out detailing their uh, allegations of sexual assault we see the fbi is uh, basically losing all any and all credibility from the uh it coming out that uh, james comey made up his mind about the hillary clinton email investigation months before he made the announcement and now we see that hillary clinton received money in her foundation to uh, approve a deal on the uranium one all this is coming out in the open uh do you believe we will see this uh or this could be the uh beginning of a mass awakening to where people are going to uh find themselves re- not being able to trust all the institutions that they once believed in and did trust and maybe in that sense turning back to the church um what what, what do you yeah. think all this un, un- uh, revealing is about
0: well i i think that it is it is the Father continuing to pull back the curtain, to reveal the corruption, to evil that's going on. But when God does that, Joe, he's expecting his people.
1: Well said uh, Pastor Mike Spaldings from Soaring Eagle Radio uh, we have about one minute left Pastor Mike where can people listen to your show and when Mike Spalding, thank you so much. It was a fantastic, uh, fantastic hour. And again, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to come on in the uh, final moments of the day as uh, Standeo couldn't make it on tonight. But it was a, uh, a perfect uh, fill in. And thank you so much. Folks, that'll do it for us tonight. Until tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Have a great evening. We will be back tomorrow. Don't forget the Doug Hagman Show, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Global Star Radio Channel 3, Blog Talk Radio Live and Archive, and the Hagman Daily Show on 2 to 3 p.m. Global Star Channel 3 and on Blog Talk Live and Archive. So until then, stay safe. Have a great evening.